Welcome to the Checkable Health Podcast, where we're helping everyday moms rethink how healthcare begins at home for themselves and their families. This podcast is for moms of school-aged children born in the 1900s and would buy an at-home strep test to check their sore throat symptoms from home. Hello, I'm your host, Patty Post. I'm founder and CEO of Checkable Health. I'm a mother to two amazing sons and one amazing tween daughter. And I'm wife to Andrew for almost 20 years. I truly believe that your healthcare does begin at home. I'm equipping you through this podcast to make educated decisions from the comforts of home to help you make better health decisions for yourself and your family. If you are new to this podcast, this is a second episode from a two-part series with physician assistant Cody Baxter, who specializes in weight loss management. So I encourage you to go back to episode one and hear how he works with his patients on weight loss management and how obesity is affecting all of us, but really easy tactical things to do to change your lifestyle. In this episode, we're talking about medications that can be taken to help us with weight management. I'm going to talk to you about my own journey with the prescription Contrave, and we're going to talk about some telemedicine, and as well as bariatric surgeries, and really the list of options that we have to manage obesity other than diet and exercise. I think that this episode is very informative, and if we are looking for ways to really help with the mental side of overeating, anxiety eating, stress eating, I think that there's a lot of learning to be had in this episode. So again, thank you to Cody Baxter. He's an excellent guest at Checkable Health. We are really excited because we are hoping that he's coming on board more to give us some tips and tricks of how he works with his patients. And then we can provide to you via our YouTube channel and all of our social channels more of his great information as a subject matter expert. So with that, let's get into this second episode with Cody Baxter. I told you when you and I met that I started taking Contrave back in May. And for me, that really helped me, I think, on a number of things. One, the one from almost like the addiction side of wanting to eat in the afternoon, it just like totally went away for me. Two, I didn't have the feeling of hunger anymore. Like, I mean, I still feel hungry, but sometimes I feel like I was telling myself I was hungry and maybe I really wasn't. But because at firsthand I've done it, I feel okay sharing that. But would you share with the audience what Contrave is? I was going to say, first of all, thank you for sharing that info and, and your experience with it. And so Contrave is a combination medication of two generic drugs, bupropion and naltrexone. So bupropion is most commonly known probably as Wellbutrin, uh, which is an antidepressant medication. Uh, but it also has applications for uh, tobacco cessation. So having used it in those areas, we know that it's got activity within the brain. Um, it works on a few different uh, neurotransmitters within the brain, but uh, dopamine is probably one of the ones that people have heard of that it has some effects on. Now, Trexone, on the other hand, is used in a lot of substance use disorders. So opioid use disorder and alcohol use disorder. 
it is an opioid antagonist, which means that it blocks the opioid activity. So a person who is taking naltrexone likely does not get the same high or feeling from the use of opioids and helps them avoid problematic opioid use. So if you think about all of those potential activities, when we put bupropion and naltrexone together, we are really working pretty powerfully on that reward pathway dysfunction in the brain. And the people who tend to do really well with the use of contrave, as the the name kind of implies, contrave would be against cravings or counter to cravings. And so people who are eating, maybe not necessarily because they're truly physically hungry, but because they have craving for a type of food or they feel the instant feedback or reward from that eating behavior is something that they struggle to control on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So Contrave is a good medication, currently brand only, but we use it quite frequently to make it more accessible for some patients, just splitting it into generics and, and prescribing separately. And uh, I use it quite frequently with, with good success. It is one of many options out there right now as far as anti-obesity medication goes, and that's probably a whole separate podcast topic altogether. But oftentimes, the short answer I'll say about that is it can be the difference between that consistent success or feeling like our efforts and our success match mm-hmm. rather than feeling like we're putting all this effort in for very little results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have lost 14 pounds since then, and I am just maintaining now, but I still feel really good. And I think I think I needed that antidepressant as well. I didn't know and had never I had Zoloft after my daughter, my OBGYN had prescribed it the day that I delivered. And that was like a totally different postpartum experience. It was so much better because I had taken it, but I didn't know that it would affect me. But gosh, I just feel better overall. I think the big sticker of it is that you cannot have any alcohol when you're on Contrave. I mean, that's what when I was prescribed it. And I am alcohol-free, so that's fine with me. But is that what you prescribe to your patients as well, no alcohol use? My advice with with Contrave or probably with lots of, of medications would be I would take it easy as far as the first time you may try alcohol after being on it. Contrave is one that you have to start at a certain dose and work your way up. So probably not a great idea as you are adjusting to the medication to to mix alcohol in. But part of being, I think, realistic about what patients are going to tell me in the room, but what they might actually do uh, mm-hmm. is for me to to tell them, hey, uh, if we want to be absolutely safest, we, we would not mix it with alcohol. But that being said, it's not something that is going to healthy doses likely cause lots of issues. What people might find is if because of the contrave, you have lost weight or mm-hmm. you are eating less throughout the day, then mm-hmm. you might metabolize alcohol a lot differently. So your tolerance may change as well, which is why it's mm. really important to, you know, I wouldn't make someone's 21st birthday or a birthday party or sometime where you're going to have maybe more than one drink mm-hmm. <laughs> be the first time that you give a test drive to alcohol uh, on a new medication. So for me, it's caution, but you might find that within moderation, you are able to incorporate some of that. And some people might find that it just makes me it treats me differently when I'm on this medication. So I'm just going to avoid it. But I don't think it's an absolute no. Got it. Okay. That was a misconception that I had then. I do know that the first the first month was hard getting on it. I did not 
you do feel sick to your stomach at times. And that is something to fight through. But once that subsides, and I did have to cut back my dosage a little bit because I was getting tired in the afternoon. So I think it was too much for me, the the recommended dosing. But, and I'm not a, per, I've never really had a, a long-term prescription before. So having someone that I use telemedicine instead of talking with a provider in person, which is really nice because on contrave.com, you can see a telemedicine provider. They'll give you a half an hour consultation. And for me, when I've, I've now used it three times, it was really an enjoyable experience. Actually, it's probably my most I've done telemedicine for strep quite a few times, but for that, that was a that was good for me. Yeah, I think one of the things that COVID nineteen pandemic really accelerated was uh, the telemedicine platforms and what we what kind of care we can give on it. I think the vast majority of that is a positive thing. There are a few mm-hmm. you know, stories out there about some of the telemedicine sites that become an easy way to really churn through patients. Sure. But overall, what your experience was and the experience of the, a lot of other telemedicine places is we are increasing access to anti-obesity medication. And I am 100% on board with that. So there are some physicians who I looked up look up to in the field that I know are on advisory boards or help with some of these sites specific to uh, weight loss, but there's other ones for, you know, primary care meds or all sorts of other medication options. So I think that's been a positive thing overall and hope that uh, people are able to to access some of the things that they just haven't been able to traditionally. Mm -hmm. There's a new injection for weight loss. Have you been prescribing that to your patients? I always joke, um, I've been on these streets for years, you know, like when we talk about the injections. So <laughs> the, the injectable medication class is the single most effective class of medications when we look at potential weight loss rates. And one of the reasons, there's multiple reasons why, but I think it's one of the medication classes that truly is addressing some of the underlying what we call pathophysiology or, or what is the underlying issues that can have someone be struggling to, to maintain healthy weight and really uh, has different targets within the body that help benefit uh, the vast majority of people who are struggling with it. So something like Contrave, if you are a patient who has, let's say you make less of a hormone in the gut that signals for fullness, and this is part of what these injectables do. But if you are taking Contrave, that might not do any effect for for that person because if you are physically hungry more often than other people are, or you are hungry an hour after eating, Mm -hmm. then addressing the brain pathway that Contrave does isn't going to do much and vice versa. So if, if physical hunger is not something you struggle with, then really taking a medication that increases fullness signaling is really not going to be helpful because you'll feel full, but you'll still have the cravings to eat, (laughs) right? So getting back to the injectables, these uh, medications originally developed for diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes, but then really saw great weight loss benefits for, for those types of patients and started being studied then just with weight loss or for treatment of obesity. And they continue to hone and develop these even more and so the latest one, which is a, the generic name is terzepatide, that is a medication that is now approaching over 20% weight loss potential in the long, most recent long-term studies. Wow. 20% weight loss. So I would lose 20% of my weight. 
So yeah, the average patient who was on this medication, it was uh, just over a year. I think it's like 14 or 15 month study was the most recent obesity study that had come out for them. Yeah, it was about 21 or 22% average wow. loss. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being that it was originally, right now it's only on label for, for diabetes use this specific one. Okay. But it, it does have, you know, you can use it off label for weight loss and we have and so for people who have type 2 diabetes, it's really, really helps manage blood sugar. And more importantly, when we think about hmm. this is a whole separate topic, but with diabetes, it, the blood sugar number matters for sure. But why does it matter is because all of the risks that are increased when your blood sugar is not well managed, which is chance of heart attack, kidney disease, all these other sorts of things. So some of the older diabetes medications, they lowered your blood sugar, which is great, but the Long-term studies did not show major changes in terms of your chance of a heart attack or stroke mm. or kidney disease. And so at the end of the day, what is the point of the medication if you're not living longer or improving your quality of life, right? right. Um, and right. so this class of medications does both, right? It helps yeah. with the blood sugar, but it also lowers your risk of heart attack and stroke. It improves kidney disease outcomes, It, you know, all these other sorts of things. Interesting. So. That's the most recent one, but there is uh, probably five or six different ones within this class that can be used. And um, Wegovi is the one that is on label for weight loss treatment that is the most effective medication. And Monjaro was the one that I had just talked to you about as far as the most uh, weight loss potential. So injectable, does that mean that you come in once a week that you're, or you're giving yourself an injection? What does that mean? Yeah, they are self-administered. Um, most okay. of these medications uh, are a once weekly injection. There are a couple of them that are once daily. And then with this, they come, they look just like an insulin pen. If anyone's ever seen what one of those looks like, but a, a little device, uh, some of them are auto injectors. So it's just a, a pressure activated mm. thing. You push it against your abdomen and it dispenses in about five seconds and you're good for the week. Um, others mm-hmm. have a dial uh, system where you dial up the dose that you're going to use on a, a little preset dial, and then you use a disposable needle and reuse the pen multiple times. Mm-hmm. Why don't we see commercials for these drugs? Don't you think that's kind of crazy? Yes. <laughs> the percentage of people who qualify for anti-obesity medication based on their you know, weight or their weight plus their other health conditions um, that are actually offered these medications is about 1%. What? Why? So low? You know, that's part of that how long do you have sort of thing. But if, you know, I get a patient who is coming to me and they are on two or three diabetes medications, two or three blood pressure medications, a cholesterol medication, an antidepressant, and then, you know, some of these other things, right? These are very typical patient populations that I might get. The minute they have turned around then and asked for a weight loss specific medication, the same provider who's willing to manage all of those other ones sends them to me to or a weight loss specialist of some sort to deal with the weight loss. And so the fact that we've treated weight loss medications as a niche or a specialty versus a true bread and butter primary care issue is probably right. one of the biggest things. And then when we don't do that. And it's a chicken or the egg sort of thing, right? Because if we don't prescribe them regularly, then insurances don't see them being prescribed regularly and are less likely to cover them. Mm -hmm. If we don't prescribe them regularly, then the people who are coming out of school that we are training uh, as new doctors and physician assistants and everything else are not going to get exposure to learning how to prescribe these. Right. 
it doesn't make its way into the medical education curriculum. And Mm -hmm. then if we don't have long-term studies on lots of patients being on these medications and showing benefit, then there's really the arguments for covering them more from the insurance side of thing again is, is less. And so it's one of these things where like someone has to make a change, right? Uh, You have to like, someone's got to just jump on. Like I want off this ride is kind of the way I describe it when people ask like, how do we change things? It's like, you just have to jump out of the cycle and more people have to jump out of the cycle. And by losing, let's just use the 20% of your weight, you would lower your likeliness of heart disease, diabetes, high cholesterol, you know, all of these things, even I think mental health, when, when you're feeling better and I mean, you are more likely to get to the gym. You're more likely to take the walk. You're more, you just feel better in your clothes, in your own skin. So then that, that mental health improves as well. So it it seems like those nine prescriptions that you were saying, the first one should be the weight loss one. You're hundred percent right is I think of anti-obesity medication as a root cause treatment versus a lot of these other ones certainly have genetic components to it, but they all have a Mm -hmm. common theme of ways that we could prevent or reverse some of these things by treating weight specifically. So really my thought is a treat weight first approach should really be where we think from rather than, oh, you have high blood pressure, here's the high blood pressure medication. And I use high blood pressure medication all the time. I'm not against it by any means. Uh, It's life-saving, but it's part of a treatment plan that should also then address the lifestyle aspect or risk factors that get them to a place where their blood pressure is high. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's the the holistic or comprehensive approach and how it comes into play. On these medications, do you, once you start taking them, would you, or the anti-obesity medication, will we have to be on it for life? I've never even asked that. Well, I have to be on contrary of the rest of my life. <laughs> Another fabulous question, because this is, I don't want to say misconception, but it's its a question that a lot of people have, especially once they've had some success and they're like, okay, this is the one thing that's really helped me get over the hump or be consistent for a period of time that when I've struggled. And, and so really treating this as a chronic disease tells us that chronic management is required that might look different at different points in our lives. So my thought is, you should continue to use it as long as you feel it is part of a treatment plan that is helping you be the happiest, healthiest version of yourself. Mm -hmm. For many people who have struggled with severe obesity or have obesity that also then has them dealing with other downstream effects such as diabetes, high blood pressure, all that other sort of stuff. My thought is, I'd rather get rid of your blood pressure medication before I get rid of your anti-obesity medication. Right. Uh, Or for most people, right? Mm -hmm. If this is helping you in, in that respect, I will never be the one, and I shouldn't say never, the, you know, if someone's having unintentional weight loss, even after meeting their goal or something to that effect, we'll have that conversation. But that's very extremely rare. Most often it is, I'm not going to be the one to initiate the conversation of, I think we should get off this medication if it's working well for you. Uh, it's mm-hmm. up to the individual to say, hey, maybe I've been on it for a handful of years. And during that time now, okay, my life's in a, a better place. I, you know, I changed jobs. I'm way less stressed. Maybe a kid graduated and I don't have kids in the house and X, Y, and Z are all different now, right? Mm -hmm. I'm in a good routine. I'm in a good place. I have systems in place that are helping me manage these things. I don't think I need the support of the medication at this point. Awesome. Let's try scaling back. Let's see if we can come off of it and if you can maintain. 
But we have a plan of if things start to go haywire, let's not wait until you were where you were when we started before Mm -hmm. we do something different, right? And if it needs to be the medication that is something that we continue, then so be it. But some people might be able to come off of it. Others generally, particularly if this is a uh, to a more severe aspect, should be thinking about this as a long-term management sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I always tell them, well, the only reason I'm going to take you off this is if something better comes along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you'd have a higher success rate and hopefully they're already having success. So the conversation is unneeded. Yeah. Even in my four years of practice, when I first started the highest percent weight loss that we could expect from a single medication on average was about eight or 9%. And so that doubled uh, about wow. a year ago with approval of one a different injectable medication. And then with this newest one that has just come out um, and will be continuing to be more accessible, it has gone up again. So, and then if you really, you know, want to find me nerding out, like on a Friday night reading, you know, <laughs> studies of, of weight loss medication trials, there are ones even further advanced in terms of what we're going to be able to do and mechanisms or pathways at which we can target to really fight back against the the disease of obesity. So as we continue to go like anything else, we are scratching the surface, but we're going to have so many more things that we can offer patients from a treatment standpoint. That is so cool. So is this, I mentioned telemedicine, but if someone's listening and they are, let's say in rural America, and it's, it's hard to find a family physician that you know, they might be five months out. Is obesity treated? Can you do this on telemedicine? That would be a nice consultation. Yes, there are. There is a number of sites that are going to be willing to treat and are guided towards that. Some sites are more of like a subscription based and then the medication might be included. Others are more of a pay for the visit and then uh, you still need insurance to pay for medication or different sorts mm-hmm. of things. Most of them have some sort of infrastructure to ensure that medication that they choose is going to be affordable to the person. Um, because when we go back to that whole sustainability aspect of yes. if the medication, you know, I used to tell people, you know, you can't pay cash for this because the price has a comma in it, right? <laughs> it's like, that's yeah. not a good thing. So right. if it's not something that's covered by insurance, then, you know, really not going to be able to use it for some of these ones that have not gone generic yet. But most of those sites are pretty good about figuring out what can and can't be used, what is going to be easy enough to pay for out of pocket versus needing to be submitted through insurance. And so there are definitely ones out there. I don't have any that I'm tied to or have a specific Mm -hmm. one. So there's lots of them. But a quick Google search will will show people at least a a few different ways to get started in that respect. So you would you recommend that over going, would that be under the knife? I mean, there's so many weight loss surgeries, not so many, but there are weight loss surgeries. And what do you practice? Healthy lifestyle? (laughs) Yeah, that's another, and then it's another conversation I think so important to have when when I first meet a patient and, and talk to them about how this is a chronic disease is that diseases have a spectrum of treatment approach and we need our treatment approach to meet and support the patient at whatever intensity is needed at that time. So for a patient who is, you know, overall generally pretty healthy, has some family risk factors of things they want to avoid and looking to lose 20 or 30 pounds, they're probably not a bariatric surgery candidate. And Mm -hmm. um, that's not an intervention I would consider for them. However, if I, I have a patient that shows up and they're say two to 300 pounds over what would be a healthy weight for their height and has multiple other things going on that that may be 
causing increased risk of having really poor health outcomes. I'm not doing a service to them by trying to just talk about strictly lifestyle modifications that are going to get them to a place where they're healthy. The research shows that intensive lifestyle and behavioral therapy alone is going to be somewhere around 5% on average in terms of expected weight loss. And that's if you're at a pretty good place that you're seeing regular intervals, you're getting dietary and exercise advice and and all that sort of thing, which from an access standpoint is not every patient for sure. Mm -hmm. Medications then, you know, are a step up from that and that percentage is changing and increasing at all times. But again, right now tops out at 20%, let's say. Bariatric surgery is somewhere in that 30 to 50, sometimes even 60% of body weight loss. And so if you're a person who weighs 500 pounds, really just trying to diet and exercise your way to a weight of 200 or 250 pounds where you might feel happiest and healthiest, it's like having a blizzard here in North Dakota and, you know, going to your kitchen, grabbing a a soup ladle and going out and trying to shovel the driveway with that, (laughs) right? You know, we have to have the intervention meet the intensity of the problem. And so bariatric surgery is life-saving for the right people. Oftentimes it is not the first thing that we talk about. I don't do bariatric surgery. And so um, when they're coming to see me, there's generally a lot of things somewhere in between what they've tried and bariatric Mm -hmm. surgery that we can really work hard on. But I also think it's important for me to ask what their goals are and be honest with them if what I can offer them is enough support for that. And so Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about bariatric surgery, some that are, I think, grounded in evidence, others that are just misconceptions in general. But the two that I think I hear the most, one are that I know someone and then they had really bad complications or or something happened from it. In terms of like surgical procedures, bariatric surgery is pretty new. You know, when we think about some surgeries have been done for 100 years or more, whatever it might be, bariatric surgery really didn't get popular until probably the 90s. And so we are just now getting to a place where we are really, really good at doing bariatric surgery. Mm-hmm. You learn from as time goes on and different techniques. And, and so when we look at the 90s compared to now, the complication rates uh, for bariatric surgery are about 10% of what they were in the 90s. You know, so Really? Yeah. So the severe outcome, I just saw a slide last year at a, at a conference um, talking about bariatric surgery, how the mortality or death rate from bariatric surgery is actually lower than a gallbladder removal. Really? Yeah. So, and gallbladder is like super routine, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you think about it, if it's uh, it's gallbladder, sometimes it might be more of an emergency thing, or maybe there's some cancer in there, or whatever else might be going on. Yeah. We think of that's just oh, straightforward. Take it out, you're good to go. But when we compare them head to head, they're the complication rate is lower. And so we've gotten a lot better at bariatric surgery. Would be the first thing that I would say that if you knew someone had it in the 90s or 2000s or whatever, their experience is going to be different than yours. Mm -hmm. The pre-surgery process has been expanded. So you have to go through a psychological consult. You have to do multiple consults with nutrition, uh, with a registered dietitian. You have to get screened for all kinds of different deficiencies or things going in that need to be addressed before you can go through the surgery. So by the time that you actually get to the surgery, you are ready. And we have screened out mm-hmm. people who maybe aren't ready. And it's okay if yeah. someone's not ready. And it's more important that we identify that before we cut them open than after. Right. Right. So that process has gotten a lot better. And then the third part of it is, or the thing that I hear is people say, well, everyone that I know has gotten it. They just regain the weight back anyways, or, or something to that effect. Right. 
And I, I use that really as an opportunity to advocate about the disease of obesity and take the blame off of the individual person, but mm-hmm. talk about the insidiousness of a disease process that we can cut open someone's and reroute their guts and mm-hmm. physically make their stomach smaller. And they are still prone for this disease to relapse. Yeah. Right. So when yeah. we think of it that way, that speaks to us of how seriously we need to support and treat obesity and realize that this is a chronic disease. We do have some control over it, but not nearly as much as control as we'd like to think. Mm-hmm. It's not like a knee surgery. No. Where you know, you <laughs> right. like take out the meniscus and or suture it up and you'll be fine. Right. It is very complex. Yes. Deeply seated, right? Absolutely. And then it does help in some ways, but there are other commitments to having to take vitamins very regimentedly. Otherwise you're at risk for you know, some of these vitamin deficiencies or really having to get comfortable with the fact that you can only eat a few bites initially. And if food has been a comfort for you for a long time, then that's mm-hmm. something that you're going to have to deal with. So it's hard in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I see a lot of post-bariatric surgery patients who are then coming to me and have had some weight regain. And we can use either getting back to some lifestyle changes or incorporating some of these newer medications that maybe weren't around or they didn't try prior to surgery. And that is the whole like comprehensive approach. Just because you've had bariatric surgery doesn't mean medication might not work for you afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe they lost 100 pounds and then regained 50 of it. They're still down 50 pounds and 50 pounds yes. of weight loss is so, so much more beneficial for someone's health, right? So even if they are technically in that obesity category or, you know, have excess weight that they still need to lose that does not mean the surgery was a failure because they had some weight regain. And just mm-hmm. like, you know, same thing with, with long-term obesity management is, yeah, we have people that might, um, they come in like, oh my gosh, I gained seven pounds. It was, uh, yeah. I have such a, they feel like such a failure, right? And yeah. um, we pull up their weight chart and we go back and it's like, you've lost 70 pounds over the past year and a half. Yeah. What you just regained is a blip. That is not right. failure, right? And, right. You know, and so we talk about what happened and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But people, it never comes off fast enough. Any regain has them worried about failure or going back to where they were. And what we know is, hey, this is the this is the reality of dealing with a chronic disease that tries to fight back against you. Going back to yes. the, the, the caveman example that we talked about. Yep. And one step backwards doesn't mean that you're a failure. I mean, take a step backwards. And I think with habits, what I've seen personally is I'm so good at my habits. And then just one day, like something will trigger me. And then you get back to your old way of life so quickly. Yes. And it's like, okay, you had a, you had a mix up or you decided to be a little lax, get back to it. And because remember how good you felt when you were practicing those habits that you consciously knew were going to make you feel better. And as turn out, they do. Yeah. And it's that all in or all out mindset, right? That we think we have to be on point a hundred percent of the time. And if we can't, yeah. we might as well not be when really going back to that progress, not perfection sort of thing. It's what we just did has no bearing on what we do next. Right. And mm-hmm. easy to logically tell ourselves that, but I talk to patients about this is a mental muscle. You're going to have to use an exercise is not letting one decision. Um, yeah, there was a donut in the break room and it wasn't on your plan today and you ate it. Well, 
what can you do about it now other than say, hey, that was pretty good. And, and now I'm going to get back that was to delicious. track, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. But beating totally. ourselves up about it is not going to be helpful and saying, okay, yeah. the rest of the day is shot. So I'm going to have two more or um, I'm going to start over on Monday. I'm going to start over in the first of the month. And, you know, all these other things just give us space to yeah. have further decisions that we need to reverse or get back from. And so really telling ourselves that it's okay and normal to, mm-hmm. to struggle and just getting back to you know a good decision the next time around is, is the best thing you can do. On the flip side, you have some of these type A people who are like, I need to go to the gym and work out for an hour because I had the donut. And that's not yeah. helpful either, right? Like that no. is not a long-term solution. And that is not a healthy way for us to have a relationship with food. We should be mm-hmm. exercising because we enjoy it and we get yeah. benefit from it, not as a punishment for eating a donut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun. And I think for if you are a parent to have a healthy way of verbalizing it too. I I know women that have said, oh, I had such a bad weekend and now look at how fat I look. I'm like, no, you do not. You look just the same as you did last week. You might feel like you look that way, but we need to practice healthy way of talking about ourselves and about managing our weight and managing our lifestyle if we are trying to lose weight because those little ones are listening and it's, it's a very sensitive topic and they're little sponges. Oh, you're so right. And so as I get to know these patients and, and see them back and they're having progress or they just talk to me about what areas of struggle might be, the overlapping similarities of something in childhood that still affects mm. them now, whether it's you know true trauma, which there's plenty of mm-hmm. that, or there are just, I can still remember my grandma, when I was six, said this to me at a family get together about yeah. my weight. And I mean, that's a six year old, right? And so like, right. and they remember it 50 years later and it still yeah. has them, it's still affecting their behaviors to this day. And, and so, mm-hmm. right? yes, you're exactly right. They are listening. And the way that we talk about ourselves is so important in to have uh, how they develop their own self worth and, and sense of self too. And mm-hmm. um, it's a really good reminder for, for parents. Do you or your child have symptoms of strep throat, such as sore throat or fever? Do you want to help an innovative startup validate their at-home strep test? Checkable Medical is currently enrolling children ages five and up and adults for a strep throat study. Go to www.testforstrep.com to see if there's a site near you. Again, that website is www.testforstrep.com. So I know we have like, I have you until five, Cody. I'm just going to squeeze like every minute out of you here. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about was weightlifting and the importance of getting in the gym or getting some weights at home and incorporating that into your exercise regimen and what your belief is in that. The joke I always have is that like everybody needs an iron prescription, right? Like it's uh, it's so important for so many different ways. So when we think about weight specifically, I touched a little bit on how exercise won't drive weight loss as a primary driver from the body composition standpoint. More importantly than what is the number on the scale or our BMI is, is how do we feel, right? And how do our clothes fit? And what are we happy that we can do? So when we ask someone like, what is the reason why that you want to do, you know, come in here and have a weight loss? I mean, I get, you know, things like 
I went to Disney and I couldn't fit on the roller coaster. And I we go there every year. And next year, I want to fit on the roller coaster. This is a real story. And he went back a year later and he fit on that roller coaster and life was good, right? That's so cool. Right? And so it's yeah. things like that. Or it is, I fit into a pair of pants that I have not worn since before I got married and they have been married a long time <laughs> or whatever. But why do you have them in your closet is what I would <laughs> well, ask. Like throw that away. <laughs> yeah. So really it is. And so then when we think about strength training, why does that matter? Is that, you know, we might be able to get really good benefit from the strength training and we might look and feel better 10 pounds heavier than we did prior to starting some of that. And so the number on the scale really isn't applicable, but now all of a sudden I can carry my kids up the stairs when they fall asleep in the car. Right. Yeah. I had one woman who told me her next goal is I want to be stronger than my husband. And I'm like, I love it. Right. You know, it's it's wonderful. And so strength training is if we can pick one, you know, I, my first thing I would say about exercise is do what you enjoy, do what you have access to, because that's what you're going to be most likely to do. Beyond that, if we're talking ideal, the reason I push strength training is I would say 80 to 90% of my weight loss patients are are females. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's just probably speaks a little bit to our society in general anyways. But yeah. within that, you know, there is a lot of misconception about what strength training might do in terms of, I just want to tone, I don't want to get bulky or, um, yeah. you know, I'm going to exercise, so I'm going to go get on the treadmill for an hour or, you know, things like that. Those can be really helpful, but the most important thing for, I think, that I want women to know is you don't have the hormonal makeup. And particularly if you are trying to lose weight or in a calorie deficit as part of a weight management program here, you are not going to be able to put on slabs of muscle and turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger or whoever. Yeah. Because between your hormonal makeup and the fact that you don't have a bunch of extra calories laying around to turn into muscle it's just not going to happen. The goal really would be preserve as much lean, healthy muscle mass as possible while losing the fat mass. Or as you get closer to that maintenance weight, maybe now putting on a couple extra pounds of some good, healthy muscle mass would be important. And so the other part of it too, is how we lift weights. So I always tell people, don't be afraid to lift heavy. It should feel heavy for you. Mm-hmm. You do not have to stick to the the two to five pound dumbbells and just do lots of reps to tone. You know, these are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to to strength training that are out there. You can lift heavy. It needs to feel difficult for you wherever you're at in your weightlifting journey, but continuing Mm -hmm. then to push yourself to get stronger, whether that's more reps, more sets, less rest time, different exercises. There's a million different variables, but really pushing yourself to get better and get stronger is, is super important because sitting there doing two and five pound dumbbell curls is really only going to take you so far in in terms of what you want to get out of it. Right. I'm going to do my maxes tomorrow (laughs) that I'm back because I talked to Tila about it and she's like, yep, Cody really believes in, in weights. And I, my 19 year old is back from the army and he is always in the gym. And I've seen like physically how he's gotten so strong. Like I want to be strong. Like Right. Just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I can't be strong. Mm-hmm. You can still be feminine and strong. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is It is one of those things where... And then the, the confidence that you carry yourself with when you feel strong is mm-hmm. so important. And then that carries over to everything else in your life. And 
mm-hmm. or the sense of accomplishment of like, wow, when I started, I could only do the bar and now I can do this much or, you know, the, the goal setting that you could do in, in that respect of maybe right now my situation is such that I'm just not going to be able to make a lot of changes in this area of my life. But strength training is something I enjoy and can can really get after pretty good. Then and that's wonderful. And, and that's the part of the comprehensive approach is I'd love to say we're going to be able to put everything first all the time, but that's just not realistic. Some of the things of lifestyle changes, Cody, when we're talking about this, I have someone who said an analogy once to me of, you know, if you hang out with partiers, you're going to party. If you hang out with overweight people that don't have a healthy lifestyle, then you're going to have that same type of lifestyle. And like for me personally, when I gave up alcohol, I shed some friends from that because just naturally I didn't find going out as enjoyable. I find going to yoga or walks or, you know, coffees much more enjoyable than, you know, sitting having wine until 12 o'clock at night. And from a lifestyle change, do you ever have that conversation with your patients that, hey, look at who you're surrounding yourself with? That's a tough t- conversation. Yeah. So that, that brings up two good points. So one of the, in my consultation template is I just have a spot that says family situation. So I remind myself to ask, like, I just say, who lives at home? And mm-hmm. so, and then within that, I'll ask what their dietary habits are like, if there's any, you know, whether it's special diets that they need to follow, or if like, you know, frequently it's like, well, my spouse is, you know, brings home pop and cookies or whatever else. And so if you have someone who is constantly putting you in a bad food environment or has bad dietary habits, the chances you're going to be able to stick with changes on your own are a lot more difficult. And and knowing that, then we can open a conversation about have you had that conversation with your spouse? Have you had that conversation right. with them about, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. And, you know, what are you willing to help me with? And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it is like, mm, they don't really care. And, and that's tough, mm-hmm. but we work with it. And then other times it's like, yeah, actually, they want to lose weight too. And then four months later, they're in my office mm-hmm. as the other half of the spouse and want to get rolling on the same mm-hmm. program, right? And so that's the best. That's it's like, so like when you cool. guys are pulling in the same direction, now we can really yeah. rock and roll. And then the other part of that is if you think about how do people end up where they're at as adults is if you as a child grow up in a house of a couple parents that have struggles with weight and you are spending the majority of your life with them and learning your habits from what you observe with them, the likelihood that you then are going to have obesity, both from a genetic, but also from just an environmental exposure to those behaviors is that much higher too. So when your family history has that, we have to think about, well, yeah, the person who grows up with two parents that are super fit and going to the gym and doing all the right things just has that as their normal. Whereas the person who, you know, a bag of McDonald's washed down with a, you know, glass of orange juice is their normal. Good luck. You know, we have a lot more work to do to really untrain those habits. And, um, and so really, yes, it's important for us to have favorable environments in, in all sorts of things, whether it's, you know, what types of foods are we bringing into the house? Who are the friends that we're associating with? And, do you have an accountability partner that you can exercise with? Yeah. Uh, you know, what are your systems that are keeping you on track when you're not at your best? Good advice. Accountability partners. Those really help, I think. It's always helped with me when I've set out for a goal and I still, I have a coach now. That's my accountability partner. 
Yeah. And that's what it's so all like when people, um, people show up and they're like, I didn't want to come in today because I gained weight or I didn't lose as much as I thought or something. That's one of my favorite visits to have because it's going to be the most beneficial visit that, that, that we have. And so I tell them, right. if you show up, I'm never going to be mad at you. Like, oh, I thought you'd be mad at me or this. It's like, why would I be mad? What is the purpose of me being mad or shaming? Right. Or Hopefully this is the one place you do not get the shame about your weight or have everything. Yeah. Uh, every problem that you have turned back onto maybe if you lost some weight or or whatever that um, all these stories that I hear about weight bias, which is a whole nother topic. But what I tell them is you come by showing up, we can work on it. I only yeah. worry about you when you don't show up. Because if yeah. you don't come back, then I worry about you and, and I can't help you. Weight gain, weight loss doesn't matter to me. If you're here, you've already told me that it matters to you yeah. by showing up. Yep. Cody, you are helping so many people and I love that you have a passion for this. You're so knowledgeable. I think I'm going to put this into like four different mini episodes because we covered some really nice categories. I have other ideas too. So I, I mean, I'd hate to invite myself back already, but I, I, I have some other ideas we can certainly talk about too. So like I said, put a quarter in me and here I go. <laughs> Perfect. I, You know what? What really is good, I think a lot of people are going to TikTok lives to listen to these types of conversations, in, especially in the evenings. And I really want to get to that, and especially in a topic like this, mental health. I think that's what I would like to get to. So I, you are invited back. You are welcome anytime. We'll make it happen for sure. <laughs> make it happen. Well, Cody Baxter, physician assistant extraordinaire when it comes to weight loss and uh, management, obesity management. Thank you for the work that you're doing with your patients. And uh, thank you for being on the Checkable Health Podcast. Thank you for having me, Patty. You are welcome. That was just a great two-part series with Cody Baxter. Cody, thank you so much for joining us. I hope all of you were able to really see what a transformation can happen from just changing your overall lifestyle, as well as accessing some tools out there that you might not even have been aware that exist. There are weight loss specialists out there within our healthcare system. There are medications that are available to us through telemedicine that can help us with really the mental side of overeating, as well as how is it that we are perceived by others in our family when we are constantly battling and talking about our body image. As moms, our kids look up to us. They're watching everything that we do. We need to start or we need to continue to love ourselves and treat ourselves with really the grace that we give to everyone else in our family. Through weight loss management tools that Cody shared with us, it is achievable. So I thank you for tuning in to the Checkable Health Podcast, and I truly hope that Cody comes back. I think that we will be able to have some YouTube lives and even some things on social media with Cody because he truly is an expert. If you have questions and would like to stay connected, follow our channels. Uh, we are Checkable Health on all social channels. I am Patty Post, CEO on Instagram and on TikTok. So send me a message. And we have a new group that is on Facebook and it's called Hero Moms Group. So if you want to continue this conversation uh, that we had on these last two episodes, we're going to bring that over to Hero Moms. Uh, so you can post on there, join the group, 
and then you could post on there anonymously or you could post as yourself. It's a community of moms of school-aged children and it is a great place for us to dig deeper and have conversations about real ways that your healthcare begins at home. So with that, on to the next episode and make it a great week. Take care.